I'm talking about pick a market where you can run fast and where your product will explode, where you can hit exponential curves as fast as possible. What I'm saying is pick your market as intentionally as everything else and launch in the right market. If that means you need to move your butt to LA, move to LA and a whole bunch of implementation details follow from that. Choose where your team sits, choose where your funding sources are from, choose where your partnerships are, your regulatory considerations. Everything follows from that choice. Optimize for the explosive growth of your startup rather than the meddling kind of slow growth of your lifestyle, because it's really, really hard to succeed at startups. So why not maximize the probabilities? This episode of the Startup Podcast is brought to you by our friends at N14. We spend a lot of time talking about the importance of building out incredible teams of missionaries at your startup. And N14 are a specialist recruiting partner, finding teams of missionary engineers who are excited to work with you and your startup. At N14, they take pride in being open and transparent with candidates and with clients, and they act as an extension and representation of your brand into their network of incredible engineers. Check them out at n14.io. You're listening to The Startup Podcast, a show focused on helping you build, run, and invest in Silicon Valley-style startups. Whether you're an investor, founder, or operator in a startup, you'll gain insights on the principles that power high-growth disruption the way Facebook, Google, and Uber do it. The conversation starts now. Hey, I'm Chris. I've been building products and startups for over 20 years, including 10 years in venture-backed companies in Silicon Valley. At any given time, I'm working with a small handful of startups as a strategic advisor to help them avoid landmines and dead ends and fast forward to the best high growth answers as quickly as possible. And I'm Yaniv, a software engineer, operator, coach, advisor, investor, and people geek. I have worked at Google and a number of scale-ups and am now co-founder at Circular, a high growth startup. Our job on this show is to guide you through the unique mindset and approach that drives Silicon Valley-style disruption at scale. And in this episode, we're gonna discuss how to pick your first target geography and whether or not your home country is a good enough first place to start. And I suspect Yanev and I are gonna have quite a disagreement about this point, so it's gonna be a really spicy one. Chris, you were telling me last week that startups tend to default automatically to launching in the home country of the founders. So if you're an Australian startup, you assume that Australia is your natural market. If you're a Peruvian startup, you'll assume that Peru is your natural market. That actually sort of makes sense to me, but you have concerns about that approach. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, oftentimes I'm speaking to founders outside of Silicon Valley and they tell me that their target market is the country that they're in. It seems logical, right? So Australian founders are mainly targeting Australia and Peruvian founders, to use your example, are targeting Peru. But that I think is a failed strategy when the reason for the target market you selected is simply kind of looking around where your ass is sitting and going, yep, this will do, and launching in that market. You should be picking your target market as intentionally as you pick your hypotheses to test or your problems to solve or your features to build, your roadmap, your team. You should make a thoughtful, considered, principled analysis to pick your target market. That might be considering factors like the density of that market, the total addressable market, the pain and suffering in the market for the problem you've identified, the depth of their pockets, the value of their currency, the availability of white space or competitive pressure, 
the openness to change and adapt, the availability to capital in that market once you've penetrated that market and investors in that market want to look at investing in you and so on and so forth. When you're in Australia and you have a currency that's much weaker than the US or Europe, you have a population that is spread out like a thin layer of, I don't know, Vegemite across a piece of toast. You have people who are not very open to change, who tend to be a bit more parochial, tend to be pretty happy with their lot in life and the size of their business or the way their life works. They tend to not show off or boast or talk about new things they discovered, and they tend to be investors who are fairly risk averse. Then Australia may not be the right market for you. Now, it's important to point out, I'm not saying Australia is always the wrong market for you. I'm saying pick your market intentionally. If you've identified a uniquely Australian problem, then Australia is your target market, whether or not you live here. That's something you should pick intentionally. That may challenge you on that because I'm not sure I agree. You know, you talk about not just picking a market that your ass happens to be sat down in, but there's so much more than merely your ass in that market. What I mean by that is you have cultural context, you have understanding of the market as a consumer, you have networks, you have all of these things that, that gives you a real home ground advantage. And I think it's quite reasonable if, for example, you're an Australian startup, that your initial market is Australia. And I think it would be quite risky to say, oh, I'm an Australian startup. We're all Australian, but we've done our market research. And based on Chris's set of rational metrics, Peru is the place for us to start. So we're going to use Peru as our launch market. I think the chance of things going wrong there is extremely high. Now, where I'm more inclined to agree, or at least my view would be starting in your home market is generally a not bad idea, but, and this is especially true if you are in a smaller country, which represents a smaller market, you need to make sure that you don't get stuck there. I think that's a very common syndrome where whatever market it is that you launch in, you think that you'll go international one day and then that day keeps getting put off and, and put off. And after a while, you realize that the whole way your organization is set up, the muscles are such that making that leap internationally is just about infeasible for you. And then the door is closed. Chris, did you ever play the board game Risk? I heard of it, of course, but I never played it. Yeah. So it's a sort of relatively simple war board game where your aim is to take over the world. And in some ways, it's a bit like Monopoly. There are different continents, different geographies in the world. And if you occupy all the countries in that geography, then you get extra military units for your next turn. And of course, the big geographies, North America, Eurasia, they're the ones that give you the most extra units, but they're also the ones with the least defensible borders and the most of the players are trying to get there. So there's often the, the Australasian strategy where basically you only have to take over Australia and Papua New Guinea or something, and then you get a small number of military units. It's easy to defend. Most people won't bother you if you take over Australia because it's not worth a lot, but it can be a great power base from which to expand because you have this kind of natural power base. It's not a massive power base, but it's also not contested. But what often happens if you pursue this strategy and risk is you, you kind of get stuck in Australia and while the bigger players are taking bigger risks, they also end up the winner of those bigger battles ends up more powerful. So. To pursue this strategy well, this is the point that I'm getting to, is you take over Australia quickly, but you use that as a power base to rapidly make a move 
on more competitive markets and then simply use the fact that you have this power base as a moderate advantage in those areas. So I guess I disagree with you shouldn't start in your home market. I think in general, starting in your home market is quite sensible, but what's really important is to be thinking about your next market and being quite strategic about that. So nearly taking all your advice, Chris, but I would apply that to market number two and I would apply it quickly. Yeah. I love that term cultural context. When I first met my wife, I realized we, we had what I called cultural proximity, which is I had never dated somebody that was closer to my cultural background before for no particular reason or intent other than just hadn't happened. And she's a little bit closer to my heritage. And I realized that we had this unique bond that I had not realized was missing with other people that I had dated. So yeah, cultural context, cultural proximity. I like that term very much. I don't like everything else you said though. Uh, <laughs> so let, let's, let's debate. Let's argue. I like this. This may be our first real debate episode. So you talk about setting up a home base in Australia and then expanding. I think the problem is a lot of companies beyond never actually expanding out, out of their home base or out of Australia don't actually survive long enough to expand. Imagine if you are suffocating, you're, you're trying to take deep breaths to fill your lungs with oxygen and you're doing all the right things. You're trying to suck air in through your nose and you're trying to fill your lungs and you're still suffocating and you're wondering why. And the reason for that in Australia is because there aren't enough oxygen particles in the air that you're breathing. You see a lot of these companies, these founders, these startups who might be doing all the right things mechanically, but they're still suffocating. And that's because there is insufficient people, insufficient density, insufficient capital, insufficient imagination, insufficient experimentation for them to actually take off from that launch pad. Often the reason you hear is that we just want to prove it here and we want to then take it internationally. That's, we're just incubating it here as, as I think Yanev, you're suggesting. And then you launch from here, but you're really not proving anything here. You're not incubating anything here. The moment you move into Europe or into Asia or into the US, you're dealing with different cultural sensitivities. You're dealing with different cultural contexts, to use your term. You're dealing with different partners, different tactics, different regulations, different value props that resonate, different vocabulary, different go-to-market strategies. So you haven't actually proved anything by starting in Australia, if your ultimate ambition is to be a US company, a European company, a global company, except that you can survive in a vacuum. So what I'm saying is if you're going to spend one unit of your life, one unit of life energy, getting an Australian partner, an Australian customer, or jumping an Australian regulatory hurdle, why not spend that same amount of time, that same amount of energy, that same amount of life force on the US, on Europe, on whatever the right target market is for you and get seven, 10, 20 times your return because of the size of the market, the size of the capital and all this other stuff that I've been talking about. And the last point I'll make to address your pushback is if you're not physically situated in the right market and you're not having the cultural context you think you need to succeed, then move, move to the US, move to Europe, move to that perfect market and find the context and the decision-making and the people that you need, or, or worst case scenario, find a great general manager or CEO of that market and uh, use what Uber did, which is the launcher strategy where they get people in each market to own and operate their own PNL and their own business. So don't get me wrong, Yanev, I think it's absolutely easier to start in your home market or rather I'll say it appears easier, but once you get going, 
you'll start to run into headwinds, potentially, if you've chosen the wrong market, that you would not have done if you had chosen your market more wisely. So it's interesting. I was going to come to the move the part because I agree. No, no, no. Don't agree. Right. We're supposed to be arguing. Oh, no, 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 don't worry. This is, this is, um, this is the agree that comes before the totally disagree. Uh, the shit sandwich, whereas like, it's I agree with you. No, I guess my point is, of course, you know, if you're building a SaaS, you might say, well, I've got a global approach. You know, implied here is that for whatever reason, and there, there can be many, that you are not going to sort of roll out globally on day one. I believe you need to be in your launch country. So the implication there is if you live in Australia, you should launch in Australia. If Australia is not the market you wish to launch in, you wish to launch, say, in the US, then you need to move to the US. And I think that that remains true even post-COVID in, in the era of remote work. You know, I worked for Google for 10 years, never in the Bay Area, and I, I managed people. And I always said to them when I was having conversations about their career is, if you work in tech, and especially if you work at a, at a Silicon Valley headquartered company in tech, and you are not at headquarters, you are making a lifestyle decision. You have decided that it is more important to you to live in country X than it is to maximize the opportunities in your career. And I said this without any prejudice, because of course I was doing the same thing myself. I have never lived in Silicon Valley. I've spent a lot of time there, but I've never lived there. I strongly suspect I would be more progressed in my career if I was based in Silicon Valley. And I think that's true of most people in tech. And so you can say the same as a founder. If you are a founder, and this is, this can be debated, I suppose, in the last few years, this was definitely true five years ago, but I maintain that it is still true today. If you are a founder and you want to start a company, the best place to do it is Silicon Valley. If you're doing it elsewhere, you are in a sense, sacrificing a degree of success or expected value, let's say for your own personal reasons. So having got that out of the way, if you have made that decision that you have roots in a certain country and therefore you are not prepared to move to another market, even if your rational analysis suggests to you that that other market is better then that's okay. But the implication of that is you need to then pursue a slightly suboptimal launch strategy as well. And again, to sort of challenge some of the things that you said, Chris, you said, if you launch in Australia, you learn nothing about what it's like to operate in Europe, in the U S and so on. Obviously it's not as black and white as that. I'm sure you're making that point rhetorically, right? You learn some things that you do not learn everything, but it's also not just about learning. It's about developing capability, building out the product building up your capital reserves, building up revenue, and then making the leap. And where we fundamentally do agree, I think, is most companies make the leap way too late and then they're sort of screwed. To reflect on my company, Circular, my co-founders are based in Singapore. Singapore being an even smaller market than Australia. It's a population of about 4 million people, a fairly active startup scene, but very much subject to this problem of, okay, you're world famous in Singapore, to paraphrase the New Zealand joke, but you never really get to leave Singapore. And my co-founders made a, a deliberate decision to say, okay, we're kind of going to have a founding team split across two markets so that we're forced to think internationally and make sure that we don't get stuck on day one. 
but we have founders in Singapore and Australia and Singapore and Australia are our first two markets. Now they're not bad choices, but the reason that we chose those two markets is in no small part to do with the fact that we are on the ground. We understand what it takes to launch in those markets. We have the networks and all those things. You mentioned that I said, you don't learn anything if you're in the wrong market and you're saying that maybe that's hyperbole or, you know, I was making a point. I would actually go further. I would say you learn the wrong things when you're in the wrong market. Many of the topics we've been talking about in the previous episodes have been about all these cultural, let's call them cultural context about what is typically true outside of Silicon Valley, the wrong way to hire, the wrong way to fundraise, the wrong way to think about equity growth, the wrong way to think about unit economics. These are things that are in the water here that you learn through osmosis here. And so you're learning firstly, the wrong way to build a startup because of the people around you and kind of what's in the water, but you're also learning about the wrong motivations, regulatory constraints, business models, et cetera. Again, you just see so many companies here that are, that go to market via partnerships, via B2B, via white label. Why? Because there is insufficient end users to go after directly. There is insufficient capital to fund that ambitious growth. There is insufficient ambition or appetite for end users to pick up new tools that are not endorsed by media, government, big brands, and uh, media. And so the cultural sensitivities here, the cultural context here is all wrong. In the US, individual people are more than happy to pick stuff up and give it a go. They don't need a big brand to validate and bless it. They're, they're happy to talk to their friends about it and shout about it from the rooftops. And so you are learning the wrong things when you start in the wrong market. And so I would say it's much, much worse than you don't learn anything. And when we talk about is this absolutely necessary? Is this an absolute rule? Look, the, the mission statement of this show at the top of the episode, every episode is we're going to teach you this unique mindset about Silicon Valley style disruption. Well, firstly, Silicon Valley style disruption is global. And the other thing is that it's, this is not even a mindset in Silicon Valley because they have the home court advantage. Their default is Silicon Valley or San Francisco or California or the West Coast or West Coast and East Coast. And so they don't even have to think about this. They get it for free by default. But as expats or as people outside of Silicon Valley, we have to make this choice intentionally. And I'm not saying this is make or break. Look, very few of the things in the episodes we've covered so far are what I would describe as make or break black and white. If you do not do this, everything is done. You will fail. However, I think our job on this episode, my job as an advisor to startups and scale-ups is how do I help you maximize the probabilities of success? Because as a young company, everything is stacked up against you and the chances of you succeeding are actually really, really small. And so how do we just incrementally or even significantly maximize your chances of success? And in my opinion, and in my experience, one of the bigger ways of maximizing the probabilities of success is to move to the right market, start in that right market first. Okay. If you have built a product that because of its structure, because it's niche or whatever, it requires a really large initial audience, then you need to launch in a country where that audience is big enough, right? If a population of 25 million is not a broad enough base for your business, and therefore you distort yourself, you twist yourself into a pretzel to somehow squeeze some value out of your 25 million market 
then you need to find a bigger market. Yeah, and let me say the suspense. 25 million is too small for almost everything. It's not 25 million market. It's whatever percentage of those are kids, or whatever percentage of those are too old, whatever percentage of those are whatever. They're spread out all over the country. The whole point of a Silicon Valley style startup is scale. The point is scale. You cannot get to scale in Australia in a Silicon Valley style startup. I can imagine all sorts of people in the audience right now going, that guy is a moron. You know, there are all sorts of successful companies in Australia that make millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And look at the banks and look at this and look at that. These are not Silicon Valley companies, or they're not at Silicon Valley scale. That is the point of this podcast. I'm not talking about really healthy outcomes and really kind of like, oh, that was a really, really great outcome. That guy now can buy a bunch of luxury cars and a big house. I'm talking about global disruption. I'm really interested in counterexamples of companies that were started in a smaller country. It can be Australia, it can be somewhere else, but chose to go into a different market while remaining domiciled in that home country and were then successful because I am drawing a blank. The classic example is Canva and Atlassian, right? These companies were born in the template of Silicon Valley and were born global day one, as far as I know. I don't know their stories in intimate detail. And they also raised money from Silicon Valley for that reason. They're the ones that we all hold up as poster children for our success in our little Aussie battler community. Uh, I would struggle to think of many more that have achieved that kind of scale. Okay. So here's where it's interesting, right? Global day one is different from choosing a target geography that is not your home geography, right? Global day one is fine. Maybe I should clarify. I'm not saying you should exclude Australia. I'm not saying if you're listening to this podcast right now and you are succeeding to some degree in Australia, I'm not saying you should pull up stakes from Australia and abandon Australia. What I'm saying is you should run, don't walk to other markets, even if those other markets are quote unquote global. So go, go everywhere at once. We can debate whether you should be more targeted than that and, you know, have a a market by market launch strategy and so on. But I'm saying you, you should not be exclusively focused on Australia for really any length of time, any meaningful length of time. Now we're getting somewhere. As I suspected all along, Chris, we're closer to this than we, than we think, uh, frustratingly, (laughs) although this is definitely our longest disagreement, but I I almost want to just leave it at a disagreement and get the audience to like, uh, fuck you, Chris, you're a fucking moron. (laughs) Oh no. We're going to have to put a content warning on this one. But yeah, I almost want the audience to like go team Chris, team Yanev. Okay. So, okay. If you are. Pure software, if you are pure self-serve, which I know is your preference, and I think this applies to both Canva and Atlassian, although maybe not Atlassian in the early days, I don't know enough of history, but I know they were on-prem. But anyway, you're pure self-service, bottom-up SaaS, you're Canva, you're Slack, whatever. Your whole business model is very well tuned to being global-ish from day one. So that's, that's not controversial. It would be dumb if you were building generic workplace software to constrain yourself to a single geography. So that's not what we're really talking about, but a lot of tech companies have a local footprint, whether it is because you have a real world component, you know, you're doing some logistics and operations, or it's because you are higher touch and you need to hire local SDRs and so on. You can't just say we are in every country on day one, you need to pick and choose your territories and expand outward from there. 
in those circumstances, you need to choose your initial geographies. I would contend that one of your initial geographies and, you know, generally your first geography will be your own backyard. Where I completely agree with you, Chris, is when you say run, don't walk to international expansion, that is completely the case. If you get yourself stuck, and I was saying this, in your home country for too long, you become a domestic business and then it distorts you and warps you and you get stuck. So you always need to start somewhere. I think this is really the point of contention and maybe, maybe you don't even disagree. Where you start will tend to be your own backyard for a host of reasons that are practical and cultural. But if you are not thinking straight away where to next, and that's where the more rigorous, more systematic approach that you're talking about, Chris, is valid, then there will be no next. So yes, start local, run, don't walk. That would be my advice. I think that is the point of contention. You say your first market will typically be your home base where you sit and there are a host of good reasons for that. My position is there are a host of reasons for that. Not many of them are very good and not any of them are good enough to justify you not taking a step back and doing a thorough analysis of the world and understanding where the right market is, choosing it as intentionally as you choose your next feature, your roadmap, your hiring, your fundraising strategy and saying, right, this is the best place to start. And I may or may not have the cultural context there. I may not have the established networks there, but I may need to pull up stakes and move there in order to maximize, not guarantee, but maximize my probabilities of success. And that is particularly true. This is, I'm describing my position. That is particularly true if you are in a market that is characterized much like Australia, where it is small, parochial, broadly distributed and, and very sparse, where people tend to keep their opinions to themselves. They tend to be very comfortable. They tend to not want to change or adopt new things. They tend to not talk and promote the things they try. There tends to be a lack of investor enthusiasm. I'd be interested to know, are there companies where the whole team is in one country and their initial market is in another country? If we've got a team sitting there in Brisbane and you're like, Lima is the perfect initial market for us. So we're going to set everything up in Lima. Like you said, if you move there, I agree with you. If you need to go to a different market and you move there, then that works. But if you're not willing to move, then that shouldn't be your initial market. Okay. Perhaps let's, let's do it this way. Let's have this thought experiment. Okay. If you're an angel investor, right. Yep. And you've got two or three different companies on your radar for the sake of this thought experiment, they're the exact same company, right <laughs> down to the founders and everything. But one of them has identified, let's say that LA is their perfect first market and they physically moved to LA. That's company one. Yep. Company two is they're in Australia. They have identified LA as their perfect target market. They've done a bunch of reconnaissance to LA. They've maybe hired an LA GM, but they're mainly centered in Australia. And the third company, they've probably identified that LA is their second or third target market, but they've chosen to start in Brisbane or Sydney. Which of those three companies are you most wanting to invest in? Yeah, I completely understand what you say. And you know, the answer is, I guess, obvious, which is the company where the founders are in LA. How about this? I think we kind of can flip this whole thing around because again, what's the purpose of this podcast is to say that wherever you're in the world, you can learn the secrets of Silicon Valley style disruption at scale. And I still believe that to be true. And I hope you do as well, Chris, 
But maybe what we're saying is there are certain types of business where you are not going to be successful building a Silicon Valley style disruption from your home country because there simply isn't the market or the receptiveness to your idea in your home country. And so you need to go somewhere where the product that you are building can actually work. Now, it doesn't have to be Silicon Valley, but I think the idea of building a product, again, this is one way you have to have a local footprint where you're not global from day one. And the country where you are resident is not the country where you are launching. I just don't see how that can work. And I can't think of any compelling examples of where that has worked. You mentioned you got to find a country where your product can actually work. Again, I want to be a little more forceful here. The goal of building a Silicon Valley style startup is not to find a market where your product can work. Your goal in a Silicon Valley style startup is to grow as fast as possible. I was watching an interview the other day with some Y Combinator guys talking to each other and they're like, they talk about how the number one thing Y Combinator teaches you is how to run fast. And so I'm not talking about pick a market where your product can work. I'm talking about pick a market where you can run fast and where your product will explode, where you can hit exponential curves as fast as possible. And I'm also not saying or encouraging anybody to sit their butt in Australia and launch in LA. I'm not saying that's the ideal. What I'm saying is pick your market as intentionally as everything else and launch in the right market. If that means you need to move your butt to LA, move to LA. So you're certainly correct that maybe having this kind of like straddling strategy where you're based in Brisbane and you're targeting LA, that's maybe a fail. And I wouldn't argue that point. I think that's probably a really good point. And it's probably an implementation detail of what I'm saying, which is target your geography really intentionally. And a whole bunch of implementation details follow from that. Choose where your butt sits, choose where your team sits, choose where your funding sources are from, choose where your partnerships are, your regulatory considerations. Everything follows from that choice. And you should make those hard choices and optimize for the explosive growth of your startup rather than the meddling kind of slow growth of your lifestyle, because it's really, really hard to succeed at startups. So why not maximize the probabilities? Okay. I'm feeling this sense of closure now. I think we're sort of arguing the same point, but coming from opposite directions. You're saying if your idea requires you to be in LA, move to LA. I agree with that, but let's say you don't want to move to LA. Okay then choose a different idea, right? So I think that's sort of my point is like, you can call it lifestyle or whatever. A lot of people have reasons why they are unwilling or unable to leave their current geography. And therefore it's nearly a filtering step to say, okay, can my idea work given where I'm based? And if not, I maybe need to pick a different idea or a different approach. I'm going to argue with you one more time. It's not, can my idea work? Again, the mission statement of this, of this show is to create global disruption like Silicon Valley companies do it. So I'm saying to the audience, there are lots of ways to succeed with your business. There are many kinds of businesses and the audience listening, and many of them are going to be thinking again, that I'm a really kind of like opinionated, stubborn guy. It's like, oh, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunities here in Australia. Yes, there are plenty of opportunities here in Australia. If you are building a Silicon Valley style startup with ambitions of global disruption, you do not want to find a market where your idea can work. You want to find a market where your idea will thrive. Yes. The best possible market. And so I, I am deliberately speaking in relatively absolutist terms 
Relatively I absolute, eh? Relatively absolute. Because I'm Goodness. trying, because I always want our audience to be aware of the mission statement of the show. Our goal is not to give everyone a participation trophy. I don't want everyone to feel okay with the choices they've made. If you want to maximize the chances of hockey stick growth and do Silicon Valley style global disruption, get your ass up and move. And I know that some people can't. They have families, they have obligations, they have health, they have money considerations. All sorts of good reasons why that is unfair, unkind, unfulfilling, uninspiring, but it is the truth. Get your butt up and move or find creative ways of overcoming that, or at least understand you're dealing with a serious headwind and find co-founders and partners and strategies to overcome that headwind. I'm not saying it's absolute. I'm saying it's a serious headwind. I agree with what you're saying. When, when I say something that can work, I mean it in the sense that, that you were describing, right? That it can thrive, that it can reach global hyperscale from that geography. So what I'm saying is there are some ideas where you can do that from your local geography. And there are some ideas where you would have to move. If you were not able to move, do not choose the idea where you have to move. So if you map this out as like an actual logic equation, we're saying the same thing. We're just emphasizing different parts of it. Absolutely. Look, to some degree, I just, I love the idea that this episode's a little bit controversial. And so I'm, I'm leaning into that to some degree. I'm actually pretty opinionated about this and maybe to a fault, but to some degree, I would also really love to hear the audience react to our little debate here and uh, maybe call me out and, you know, send me some hate or send me some love, be on team Chris, or uh, maybe tell Yanev his expectations are too low and he's being too soft on the audience and call him out. So I'm loving that this episode has mainly been you and I debating an idea here, Yanev. I would really love to see what the audience thinks about this. So I'd love for people to jump on LinkedIn and find the startup podcast page and dive into the comments and tell us, are you on team Chris or team Yanev when it comes to your first market for your startup? And tell us why you agree with us, why you disagree with us. Try to be, uh, you know, pleasant and respectful. We don't want the comments to, to degrade into a fight. Let us know where you stand on the subject. Help share case studies. Tell us what you're doing with your startup. And also, as always, tell us what you'd like to hear us discuss and debate on the next episode. And don't forget to follow us or subscribe on your favorite podcast app leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, we'd love to help as many founders as possible succeed in their startups. So please share this as broadly as possible with your networks. Thanks everybody. And we'll catch you in the next one. Today's episode was brought to you by N14. We love N14 because they put your priorities as a startup first. For example, most agency recruiters charge a percentage of the candidate's salary but that means that if you need to offer a little bit more to close the deal, you end up paying more. How does that make sense? So instead, N14 charges you a flat rate no matter what the salary is. Even better, they offer an installment plan so that your precious cash flow is impacted as little as possible. Check them out at n14.io. I think it was a good debate. It was, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> of course I was right and you were wrong. Of course you're wrong. <laughs>